smile at someone else this morning that you haven't smiled at, that'd be always a good thing. Brilliant. I want to just turn your attention to Matthew chapter 19 and verse, starting at verse 16 uh, this morning. I want to read to you an uh, interaction that happened between Jesus and a young man. So Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 29. Thank you uh, for those who are um, praying for us. We, Michelle and I were away last weekend just with our family. And, um, and we were um, just happened to be, wouldn't you believe, we were down that way. And my sister found out that she had, um, my second elder sister had breast cancer. And uh, what's that, Offering? Missions offering today. Oh, we'll take it up. Yeah, great. Just take it up. Missions offering, brilliant. Yeah, and all the YPs, all the young people who are going. Great. So this is a second offering for missions this morning. So I was, I was just saying thank you to all of those who are praying. When I was down there, um, while we're taking up our missions offering, um, my sister, my second oldest sister who's older than me, found out that she had breast cancer and uh, it was so aggressive, they operated within five days. And um, so thank you for praying. You know, the greatest miracle will be for my sister to come and receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Um, not that I'm not praying for her health and wholeness, I want that, but um, my, so just thank you for praying. We continue to pray for that. Loved ones, don't we? There's many of us have family members we want to see had the greatest miracle happen, and that is to know Jesus Christ. Uh, what a great miracle. Because not only is it promised life for now, a good life now, but promises it for eternity when you know Jesus. So, um, so the results have been that for my sister is that she's doing okay. She's moving forward. Um, and uh, the reality is, is that it gets a little complicated with my sister Trish because... She also has had multiple cirrhosis for um, probably a couple of decades. And so it complicates the situation. But you know what? Um, uh, I just believe there's something good out of all of it anyway. Hey, are we there? In the, have we finished that offering? Nearly. It was the missions offering. Sorry about that, team. I've just kind of been out of the loop for a week and forgot about it. <laughs> um, are we there? Matthew 19. Are we good? Here we go. What, what verse did I say? 16. Brilliant. You're on the ball. <clears throat> yeah. Matthew 19, verse 16. This is Jesus talking to a young guy, and he says this. Now, behold, one came and said to Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing should I do that I may have eternal life? And so um, the young man, we said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Um, but if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And so we said to him, Which ones, Jesus? Which ones? I, I, um, I won't comment yet. But, uh, and Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your mum and dad, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, Jesus, all these things I've kept since my youth. But he said, What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, interesting translation of perfect. We know that no, no one is perfect. We're only, I suppose we're only seen as perfect through Jesus Christ's righteousness, not our own. But 
He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that, he went away what? Sorrowful or sad? What's it say up there? Sorrowful. Another word was sad. Um, So he went away sorrowful or sad, for he had great possessions. And, And then Jesus said to his disciples, I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? For they, uh, for G- but Jesus looked at them and said to them, With man this isn't possible, with God all things are possible. There's a lot in that passage. I want to just say Matthew gives us this story, but also Mark, another guy who writes another one of the Gospels, what we call Gospels straight after Matthew, also writes about this incident that happened between Jesus and this young man. Also Luke does the same thing. All three say one thing similar, that he's very rich. He's a rich young man. Uh, Matthew calls him rich and young. Mark just says rich. Luke says rich. And interesting what Luke says in uh, Luke chapter 18, because he says not only is this young man rich, but he's also a ruler. None of the other gospel writers mention that. And, and, And when I contemplated this thought of ruler, it's interesting, because here is a young man uh, that... Because ruler actually means he's a man that actually has some rulership in his community, like a lawyer or a, or a solicitor of today. So he has some, he's up there in, in, in a position of authority in his, in his city or town. And so it's interesting that they would call him ruler. They call him ruler because that is his title, that is his status. But who knows, you can have a status, you can have a title, but that's not necessarily who you are. It's diff- there's a difference between your title and who you really are. Okay, because I might be called pastor. Um, that's nice. But, you know, you don't see me at home. You know, do I still act like a pastor at home? Well, probably not sometimes. But, you know, so there's a difference between title and, and who we really are. Now, it's good when they kind of sync up and that you live what you are. What you are to people in general is what you are inside. That's a good thing. But, you know, the reality is, is that not all of us do. And there's probably little things in our hearts that always, you know, the outer title does not depict sometimes the inner turmoil. And for this young man, we see what was happening is he's called ruler. But as we read through the story, he's got, the truth is, it's quite ironic because he's not what he thinks he is or what he, he is because he doesn't rule, he can't rule his own spirit. He can't rule his own heart. And you might say, well, where does it say that? Well, I'll show you. He's a man with a title, but he's a man with an issue, in not, not in every area of his life, but certainly one particular area. He's got no rulership over that part of his life. And Jesus nails him on this one area. He nails him really big time. So, um, you know... Uh, I think we'd have to say, there's a, there's a Bible verse that says in Proverbs chapter 16, 32, he who rules his spirit or rules his inner man, okay, is better than he who takes a city. And when you think about that, in other words, it's saying the issues of our heart are far greater than sometimes the great exploits that we do and accomplish. What do we say at people's death, at their burials, at their funerals? What do we say? Well, the person, it's more of what they were on the inside that we talk about than some of the greater exploits. Because 
You've got to realize this morning, church, the greatest thing that you could ever do is rule your own heart and have it in control more than anything that you do in this world. That's an incredible thing. That's a good thing. Um, because in here can be some things that we Look, the honestly, truth is we all are different times of working with things in here, aren't we? But it's just being real about that. And when Jesus comes knocking, are we willing to surrender it sometimes? Uh, this young man struggled with that. I was um, talking about trying to rule your own spirit. I was, some years ago, I, I, Michelle and I and my three daughters, when they're all living at home, we had to go and attend a wedding up in, in the Cairns area, in the Daintree area. It was a beautiful place to have a wedding. I was doing the wedding for my sister-in-law, Michelle's sister. But we had some free time, so we went on the... Um, uh, the uh, chairlift up into Coranda. Who's ever been up into Coranda? Everybody ever been up there? It's a, it's a really nice tourist place. So we spent the morning having a look around, and then we went to a cafe for lunch, and uh, I, I went to the counter, and I, and I saw homemade pies. I thought, well, usually they're, they're pretty nice, so I, I ordered five pies and five bottles of water. There was a, a lady in her mid-30s came and served us, and she got the five pies, the five bottles of water. She put them on the counter. She went back to the cash registry. She pressed some buttons. She came back to me, and she said, that'll be $50. I just paused for a moment, and I, and I thought, just wait a second, five pies, $5 each. That's 25 bucks. Surely five bottles of water couldn't be $25. So I politely, and I emphasized that word, I politely it kind of gestured across, made a gesture across the counter. I said, could you just possibly check that out? Could you really just do that? And I didn't finish the sentence before there was an emotional explosion behind the counter of this lady. Now, I'm, I, now if, it was just a, if it was just to come back and say, no, I'm right, I, you know, you know, I probably could have understood that, but but she didn't. She didn't say anything. All she done was she screamed. I I, I don't even know if it's English. She just went, <laughs> boom, exploded emotionally, and then she not only done that, but she walked out. And I'm like, do we just grab the stuff and run? <laughs> What's just happened here? What just happened? I mean. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, in hindsight now, I'm thinking, I think I just pressed that lady's button. I don't know to this day what it real that button was. Maybe, I guess it was some kind of insecurity about people questioning her ability to add up. But whatever it was, it was an emotional response that I thought, this looks like, this look, what looked like a lovely, middle-aged, 30-year-old lady. Uh, she was quite nice, she was dressed well. But underneath, something was simmering away that when someone came along and just said, could you check that? Bang. She exploded emotion. So the inner turmoil was obviously there. Would you agree? See, um, what happened then was an older lady came over and said to us, don't worry about that. Let me just help you. And it cost $35, which is a little bit less than 50 Would you agree? So... Um, I was justified, but I thought, I've just done something. See, Jesus reaches across uh, the table to this young man, and in the conversation that he has with him, he says, um, because initially, the young man came to Jesus and said, hey, how do you get eternal life? Good question. And Jesus says, um, um, you know what? Um, he talks about good. 
Uh, but then he says, uh, we'll keep the commandments. The young man gets excited. And uh, he says, uh, which ones? Because he knows that he's got, it, he's got that pretty much nailed down, keeping the commandments. He's got a, he's got a moral excellence uh, about him. And, so, and Jesus rattles off six of them out of the ten. And then he says, you know what? I, I, I'm good at doing that. I've done them. I've really, I'm quite good. I've uh, achieved that. He ticks the box. You know, I've loved my mum and dad. I've, I've kept sexually pure. I'm not adultery. Uh, I, you know, all these things. I don't, um, you know, I care for people. And then uh, he says, I've done that. And then he says to Jesus, he shouldn't have asked the next question. He says, what do I still lack? And then Jesus takes this opportunity to say to him, you know what, young man? Very, Jesus knew he was very rich, and he says, take what you have, uh, sell it, give it all to the poor, uh, come and follow me, and I'll give you treasures in heaven. Now, all of a sudden, he's not so excited. In actual fact, he kind of has this emotional little meltdown, and something inside him, see, it's like Jesus reached across the counter and said, uh, would you just check that out? I don't think that is $50. And when Jesus done that, he pressed the button of this young man that someone, probably people have never pressed in his life and, uh, and, and actually exposed the reality that he had an incredible love of money. It's not, the problem with money is it's not just having it, it's the love of it. And as Jesus touched that young man's life and touched him in his heart, he kind of went away. What, his response wasn't maybe a big explosion, but it was... Sadness, sorrow. If you look at some other interpretations of that original Greek word that they put up there, sorrow, it actually could have the thought that he not only went away sad, but he went away probably mad because someone had, you know, had dared to say that he shouldn't have money. But money wasn't the issue. It was the hard attitude, wasn't it? And the third thing, he went away still bad because he hadn't dealt with it. So I want to talk to you this morning uh, about this things that this young man, why? Why did he go away sad, uh, mad, and, and still bad? Uh, what were the reasons behind this? And let's just see if not what God would want to say something about our lives today in relation to this passage. Okay, you're there? Okay, it's the first reason I wanted to say this morning, he went away sad, mad, and still, and still bad, because he hadn't dealt with his attitude, is because he thought this whole Christian thing was just another thing he should add to his life. Just another thing I should add to my life. See, the young man had good wealth and good morals. He had excellence in two areas, excellent wealth, excellent morals. He was, uh, he, he was a model citizen, he, he, uh, he, and, and yet in the midst of that, he felt like he was still just missing something, still something that he needed to do in his life. And he says to Jesus, what do I still lack? I tell you what, if you don't want to get challenged, don't ask God any questions. If you don't want to get challenged, don't read the Word of God. Don't read the Bible. <laughs> if you're really sincere about it, sometimes you can read it and you just have a tendency to just read it to, you know, and not take it in. I'd encourage you. But the reality is he asked Jesus a question. He says, what do I still lack? And um, in other words, you know what he's really saying there? You think about it. What do I still lack, Jesus? In other words, what can I add to my life of already the list of good things that I do? 
what, what, what do I need to add? Because I'm not feeling like I've got it all together. I'm still feeling like I'm missing something here, Jesus. I've got a whole list of things I've ticked off, but I still feel there's something I'm missing. What can I add to my life of the long list of all the good things I do? What can I do? And so we see that Jesus, he's saying to Jesus, I just want to add another thing into my life. Do you know your life, we've got to be careful sometimes because we think our life is all in sections. Maybe you can call it boxes, I don't know. But you know, we have the work section and that stays at work and then we have the family section and then we have the relationship with my, uh, my wife or my husband and relationship with my children and then I have the, the recreation section where I watch television or play video games or do whatever and I've got this other section and this other section and uh, you know there's the eating section where, and you know what we see them as separate uh, and then we, of course we add on to that sometimes the uh, church section that's my Sunday you know uh, that's that section there or we have the Jesus section I'll let Jesus in my life in this area but let's kind of keep him out of this area we have sections and we think God is just someone we can add to our lives, just as an optional extra. You ever bought a car and they said for a thousand bucks you can get the windows tinted? Jesus isn't that. He's not another addition. And this young man was saying, what do I still lack? Is there something I can add to make me feel better? Jesus will make you feel better, but I tell you what, he's not someone to add as just for every other section you may have in your life. He's actually, he, he wants to be a part of every section of your life. He wants to take, he wants you to give him control of, of my relationship section and my works. He wants you to, he wants to actually go with you into your workplace. Well, I can't do that. He couldn't come to work with me. I mean, they swear there and, you know, sometimes I do too. Jesus, I don't want you there. You know, well, I, you know, I, recreation. Well, you know, I watch television, Jesus, and you know, there's, there's places that, you know, you don't need to see that type of stuff that I watch. Well, maybe you've got to let Jesus in to the stuff and the places of your life. You see, it's not a matter of just adding him. It's a matter of letting him take everything that you have and renewing it altogether. See, there was a man called Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John's gospel, and Nicodemus came. He was not a young rich man. He was an old rich man. And he came to Jesus with much the same question as, as um, this young rich man. And he, and he said, basically this, he said, Jesus, what do I lack? And Jesus actually said to him, you know what, Nicodemus? You don't need any, you, you need to actually be born again. Do you know what born again means? It means throw everything out, start on you, renew it all. You don't need to add him. You need to start. He's not an optional. He's not that added extra to your life. In actual fact, you need to, because born again is an interesting thought. It's being born. It's being renewing everything. Doesn't the scripture say, behold, I'll do a new thing in our lives? Not an added extra thing. I'll do a new thing. See, God wants to take control of every part of our life. He wants you to actually go with you into your workplace, your home life, your every sporting life, your whatever recreate, whatever it is, your eating life. I was at a uh, having a lovely dinner with a group of people um, lunch yesterday, and um, it was a smorgasbord. And you know what? I go around the first time and get a plateful of food and eat it. And there's this real temptation in life just to go for a second and third. And I'm thinking, I don't need it. And I'm not saying that like God was whispering in my ear, but I certainly felt a conviction that just, you know, James, you can be such a glutton sometimes. I was like, ooh. 
You know, it's, it's just, sometimes you just got to contemplate the realities and, 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 and listen to those voices. Now, maybe it was a very practical and literal thought I had, but I kind of, kind of when I drill down on it, I, it's, it's, it's about, you know, just living and allowing, I suppose, God into every part of our lives. And Nicodemus was someone who Jesus challenged and said, come on, Nicodemus, it's not an extra, it's the whole lot new. It's the whole lot I want to do. So just adding Jesus is never going to cut it. Just adding him is an option. He, he wants to take control of your whole life. It's about letting him invade all parts of your life so nothing is not touched by his presence. Would you agree? Have you ever... Um, I always had this thought. I have some interesting abstract thoughts sometimes, but they, they're okay. They relate. Um, I was thinking, have you ever tasted a cake that's had a missing ingredient? Have you ever, like, you know, someone misses out the sugar? Or, you know, and you taste and go, well, yeah, that doesn't taste so good. Or maybe, you know, there's another thing. I, I'm no cake maker, but um, my wife tells me you, you need a teaspoon of um, bicarbonate soda. And you might ask, what's that? Well, apparently it makes the cake rise. Is that right? Yeah, okay. It helps the cake rise. So you put a teaspoon of that in. Just imagine if you made a cake and you put it in the oven and, and you pull it out and you realize it's fairly flat. You're like, oh, I forgot the bicarbonate soda. So you get the bicarbonate soda, you just sprinkle it on top and say, well, that's good enough. And you take a bite. And, and I want to tell you, bicarbonate soda tastes exactly like it says. It's like soda. It's not sweet. It's not. I actually stuck my finger in. I went to my wife's shelf. Cupboard yesterday, last yesterday afternoon. I thought, what does bicarbonate soda taste like? <laughs> Don't laugh. So I pulled this cupboard out, and Michelle is the ultimate baker. She has got 15 to 20 different ingredients. She's got corn flour. She's got raisin flour. She's got gluten-free corn flour. She's got um, chocolate chips. That wasn't a bad one. Um, she's got. Um, Everything that you need for baking cakes in that, this cupboard, and they're in glass bottles. And, and I finally find tucked in the corner this little packet, a bottle of bicarbonate soda. So I open it up, because you don't need too much of it, apparently. So I, I wet my finger. <laughs> don't tell her that, because, you know. And I stuck it right in there. I went, unk. And I went, that, I, my goodness. You could leave that out of a cake. <laughs> The point is, we take the cake, we put, it's no good sprinkling the, the ingredient on the top because the cake isn't going to taste any, it's not going to taste good with bicarbonate soda on the top. And neither is your Christian faith if you just add an extra and forget to include Jesus in the mixture all the whole life. If you don't include him in the whole thing, he's always meant to be in your life. He's never meant to be added. I think you got the point. This young man said, what do I lack? He was looking for the addition. He was looking for that magic thing that would just justify his lifestyle and say, yeah, I've, I've got it all get together now. I've loved my parents. I've kept the commandments. And now Jesus, mm, but it didn't happen that way, did it? The second reason the young man went sad, way sad, mad, and still bad was this, is because Jesus got very personal with him. Our God is not a God out there who just wants to hang out on, out there in the universe and never get personal with you. My goodness, go and worship Allah or Buddha or someone else like that because they're not personal. They're dead. <laughs> Jesus is still alive. 
And the reality is he gets, wants to get up and close and personal with us through the Holy Spirit in our lives, his presence. And so this Jesus challenges this young man because he has an academic kind of thought life. He hasn't got a heartfelt uh, thoughts at the moment. It's very academic. He's very structured. And he's thinking, he's got a head full of knowledge because I keep all the commandments. I've ticked all the boxes. But he's got no heart engagement. And the young man was trying to work it out logically. What do I lack? What else do I need? Um, and he's saying, I'm missing something. What rule do I need to keep? Uh, so I can fulfill God's purpose. It's not, not about a set of rules. It's about a heart relationship with the, the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, there's a, and so, you know, he's looking for, he's, he's thinking, what am I missing? What do I need? So this young man has a problem. He's trying to work it out. And we see within Scripture, on, uh, in Mark's account, um, Mark says something that the other two uh, gospel writers don't say. Um, and it's interesting because it says in Scripture that Mark uh, says, he looks, before he actually says to the young man, Mark's account of this, before Jesus says to the young man, uh, you know, store up treasures in heaven, uh, go and give your wealth away to the poor and store up treasures in heaven, it says Jesus looked at him and it says, and Mark's account is the only one, it says Jesus loved him. Now how did Jesus love him? He didn't write a big sign, I love you. He didn't do anything like that. He just, what it means is he looked at the young man. He looked at more, not just at his face. He looked into his soul and his heart, and he loved this young guy. And when he knew that he loved him, he was ready to present the truth to him. And he says to him, young man, I really love you. He didn't say I love you, but he loved him in his heart. And then, and then he says to him, young man, you've got to sell what you have, give to the poor, come and follow me and I'll make treasures in heaven. You'll have treasures in heaven. He, he, he was literally saying, I really do know the issues in your heart. I really do know the struggle you're facing. And the struggle you're facing is, is you have a greed for money and things. That's your problem, young man. And the young man's response to that was, see you later. How sad was that? Let's hope he came back one day and said, you're right, Jesus. But Jesus got really personal, and he put his hand, he stretched out over that counter at, the, at, the, uh, at the, that day in that cafe, and he said, hey, you've got to change that heart attitude right there, because that, that is a monster, that thing. That thing will kill you. I've just, it's interesting, isn't it? That thing will eat you up, young man. And it was all done because Jesus loved him. Don't you think Jesus looks at your heart and loves you? And, you know, sometimes when things come up in our mind, oh, I've got to deal with this. Don't you think it's a prompting of the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, deal with that because, you know what, it could destroy you. It could eat you up. It could kill you. It'll, it's a monster. And if you allow, it'll, it'll rule and reign. It'll take more and more control of your life. That thing that you hide away in another section of your life or whatever it may be, and God says you've got to let that out. You've got to surrender it because it wants to destroy you. And uh, the truth is that Jesus loves us enough to say, you know, this is the issue. This is the thing I want you to know that uh, I want to help you deal with. You see, when things become more necessary than anything else, when we you know, want things more than we want God, when we're not willing to ex- include God in those areas, and those, it's a good indication that maybe it's a thing that we need to deal with or we need to give up. 
It, it can become that monster. And it did for this young man. Um, uh, you know, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, God actually said this, you shall have no other gods before me. And I've discovered over my life now, when, when I get upset and frustrated about something, when something I want is not, I'm not getting it, or something I want to do, it's not happening, I've learned to realize, to ask myself a question at least, um, why are you frustrated and upset about that? You ever had one of those moments when you're going to be real with yourself and say, why are you so emotional about that? Someone never, sometimes we never give ourselves the space to think about why we're so emotional and, re, and why we react to that. You know, the biggest thing you could do today is to go home and ask yourself that question. What do I react about that I need to ask why? 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 I remember some years ago when I was playing touch football that, um, uh, was it a Monday night? I've forgotten. Was it Monday night? Monday nights? Because she played. Anyway, Monday nights. And, and, and every Monday night was my touch football night. And this particular night, I, I got home um, from the church here a bit late. And it started at 6 and I was trying to rush to get there. So I'm getting ready. And I, in the process, I put my keys somewhere in the house. Who's ever done that? Lost your keys to your car? And um, I'm rushing around trying to get ready. And then I finally, where's the keys? And now I'm trying to go back over where, I've, where in the house I've been and where I could have possibly put my keys. And I'm, getting, I'm looking at the time. I'm getting more frustrated. I'm getting more upset with myself. I'm getting more emotional. And, you know, I had, and, I, and at the same time, I really do think the Holy Spirit's on my case because he's asking myself the question, why are you so upset? Why are you? And as I, you know, the truth is I wasn't upset about losing my keys because I would find them eventually. I was upset because I was missing the game. Because I put this little God in my life. Monday night is my night. God, you can stay at home. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy myself. Now, I didn't say that. It's just that sometimes that's the way we live our lives. We just sometimes, it's just frustration, anger over such a small thing, such a little thing. And yet, I finally found the keys. They were in my cupboard where my clothes were. My car keys. But the reality is, I didn't get to the game till the second half, and I was angry. And I had to deal with that, and I had to ask myself the question, why? And so I made my peace with God, and I said, God, I'm never going to allow touch football to become between you and me ever again. So, God, you hearing me? I'm going to be really good. But you've got to make sure, I want to make sure I get to the game. I still had to work on it. But, you know, the reality is... The reality is that there's sometimes that we just give ourselves a space to say, why am I reacting that way? Truth is, we pull back from those moments and we never find out. Because those places can be places of hurt and pain and we don't want to go there. And we don't want to acknowledge the realities of our own inner, inner thoughts and turmoils that we're struggling with. And God would call us and God would reach across the counter and say, come on, he'd press the button and uh, he'd say, come on, give it to me. This young man struggled. Jesus got really personal. I want to say the third thing, and we'll finish with this. The reason he went away sad, mad, and still bad was that he didn't understand what Jesus meant by treasure in heaven. He didn't understand that. Jesus uh, was saying, you've got to get rid of the monster, and then you can have treasures in heaven. You've got to get rid of the thing that wants to control your heart, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. And it means two things. 
The first thing it means is this. It means if you see that, it, that, that Jesus is your true treasure, you've got to see that. You've got to give up the things of this world because it makes Jesus. When you give up the things of this world, you're making Jesus that true treasure. You're seeing him. And I want to say, you're, you, you know, like this young man, you can have all the estate in the world. You can have the opportunity to buy things whenever you want to. But nothing is compared to the true treasure of his forgiveness, his joy, his peace, his righteousness, and not mine. Him calling us a son and daughter of the living God. Nothing can compare to that true treasure that Jesus wants us to have. It's true treasure. We all know. Didn't we start this message by saying the outward things are wonderful? The outward exploits that we do, the title above our door, whatever that may be. I'm father, I'm mother, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a leading hand, I'm supervisor, I'm engineer. I'm, you know. But if, if that's what makes you, that's a sad day because what makes you is what you allow into here. What you allow into here. And nothing compares to all that he has. Uh, thieves can come and steal what you have on this earth, but they can never steal what God can give you. Never steal it. So not only does it mean that you make Jesus your treasure, but when we make Jesus our treasure, he makes us his treasure. We become his treasure um, we become important to him. There was a moment when Jesus sent out these disciples to go and heal and pray for the sick and touch lives. And the disciples came back, remember? And they were really excited. And they said to Jesus, hey, we saw people healed. We saw people delivered. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, I saw demons fall. I, saw, my, I'm, I rejoice with you. But he said, you know, something more important, Jesus said, than you doing those great exploits. He says, rejoice and praise God because your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. What's Jesus saying? Get excited about the reality that one day you're going to be in heaven. In other words, <clears throat> my greatest desire and passion for you is that you'll be my, you'll be my treasure in heaven with me. That's the most exciting thing. Because I see you as precious. I see you as important. And that the fact that I saw you created and live your life, and the fact that you would come and then be in heaven because of your belief in me, you know, that's an exciting day. That's because you are my treasure. You know what God said about you and me? He counts the hairs on your head. I mean, who counts hairs on heads? Far out. Who does that? I mean, I've parted enough girls. I've got three daughters. I parted their hair. I brushed their hair. I even sometimes tried plaiting their hair. Not very successful, but I never counted their hair, folks. So maybe I didn't, you know. I, I'm, but my father, he counts the hairs of my. He knows the hairs on my head. When one falls from our head, he knows. So everybody who's going a little bald, don't worry. It's a sign that God has less to count, and he's just ex he's excited about you still. Don't worry. But what devotion our God has to... Do you realize the devotion God has towards you? He created you. Why wouldn't he have a devotion towards you? Why wouldn't he want you in his kingdom? This young man didn't understand what Jesus was saying about treasures in heaven because when we make Jesus our treasure, he makes us his treasure. His treasure. 
His most precious possession. Can you see today that your identity is not found in your dress size? Your identity is not found in your bank budget. Your identity is not found in whether you've got the latest and trendiest. Your, your identity isn't found in another person who makes you feel good. Your identity can't be found in what you earn. Your identity has to be found in Jesus Christ. Because then everything else comes out of that. And everything else, you can make him a part of that. And uh, life is so much more freedom. You're not struggling. You're not trying to fight and try and maintain all these things in life. Oh, I've got to maintain all my assets. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, looking after the things you have. But it's pretty wrong when that becomes the only thing you have to do in life. And, oh, I've got to do this. And that's a sad day, isn't it? When it takes over your life. Freedom is found in placing him first. Could we stand this morning together as we close? You know, this morning, God may make you sad and he may make you mad. But if you're willing to give him a chance, you'll see that he still loves you, even though you may have that attitude. He still loves you. He still loves you. In actual fact, he'll always love you. That doesn't change. You can't make him love you any more than you do, he does right now. You can't make him love you any less. Your, your wrong things that you do won't make him love you any less. And the good things you do doesn't get any more brownie points on God. He loves you, full stop, you know? And that was his point he was making to this young man. Come on, would you give up this greed for wealth and finance and place your attachment and your um, affections on me? Because I can help you with life. So this morning, we're going to sing a song in a minute and close this service, but I just want to pray for you today. Where you stand, can we close our eyes for a moment? If you're here today and say, Father, I just need uh, to again make a stand in, in my heart and in some way towards you. I need to just um, relinquish the control of those things that I hold so tightly to and give you control. I just need to allow you, Father, to do a new thing and not just add you, but transform me in my life. If you just want to say, yeah, pray for me, just, I'm not asking you for salvation. I'm just asking you if you just need to acknowledge that. And before God today, just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you and for you today. Just lift your hand to him as I want to pray right now. Father, today, we stand before you as a people that need you. And probably I don't know if we all know how much we do need you. And I'm not quite sure if I realize how much I need you, but I kind of guess that it's a lot. And Father, I pray for the people today that had their hands raised, that Father, we would be people that would see what we need to relinquish control of and hand over and allow you to invade those areas of our lives that we've locked away from you sometimes and say, this is my bit. This is what I'll do. And Father, today we hand it over. We give it over. We, um, Lord, release so that you can bring freedom and hope and joy and peace into our lives through your Holy Spirit. So we can live in reality and live in truth. And not living kind of always concerned about the things of this world. 
So, Father, today we thank you. We give you all the honor and all the praise that you've brought us this far. And, Lord, that you want to take us right through to, to eternity. And, Father, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen? Come on, let's just worship for one moment this morning. I that the highest king would welcome me.